Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Idiot Book Nook. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them, and I'm trying to keep my cat off the laptop. If you'd like to follow us on our socials, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. If you if you'd like to follow us on our socials, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You can find our socials there. You can find links to our YouTube, links to our anchor, where you can also leave us voicemail messages if you want to, and we can do the we can use those for viewer feedback episodes. But we're gonna get right into things um, here in a moment. Keep in mind that we are looking at bringing on a fourth person here potentially, and we are also looking at redoing our podcast schedule on account of adulting things need to happen. So mm-hmm. just keep an eye on that. But with that, you narrator. You write an essay that is three paragraphs long any longer and we cannot stay focused on it. On why you think you should become the fourth member of Idiot Book Nook. Uh-huh. Also, one of the things is you have to be on the spectrum somehow and or have ADHD or a very low attention span. Yep, pretty much. And you have to go off on tangents. With that, narrator, are you ready? Yep. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by the Reading Dragon, voice acted by the Reading Dragon, Blaze Wing 2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter 30. Bartimaeus. I give Underwood's desk the credit. It was an old-fashioned, sturdy affair, and fortunately Jabor had materialized on its far side. The three seconds it took him to smash his way straight through it gave me time to move. I had been loitering on the ceiling, in a crevice above the light shade. Now I dropped straight down, transforming into a gargoyle as I did so. I landed directly on my master, grabbed him unceremoniously around the neck, and, since Jabor blocked the window, bounded away in the direction of the door. My response went almost unnoticed. The magicians were otherwise occupied. Swathed in his defensive nexus, Underwood sent a bolt of blue fire crackling toward Lovelace. The bolt hit Lovelace directly in his chest and vanished. The amulet of Samarkand had absorbed its power. I broke through the door with the boy under my arm and set off up the stairs. I hadn't reached the top when Colossal... I hadn't reached the top when a colossal explosion ripped through the passage from behind and sent us slamming against a far wall. The impact dazed me. As I lay there, momentarily stunned, a series of deafening crashes could be heard. Jabor's attack had perhaps been overzealous. It sounded as if the entire study floor had given way beneath him. Typical Jabor, this. He's just the sort who'd happily saw off a 
branch he was sitting on or paint himself steadily in a corner. If he were given to DIY, that is. Which he isn't. <laughs> it didn't take me long to put my essence in order and get to my feet. But, believe it or not, in those few moments, that benighted boy had gone! Damn it! I caught sight of him on the landing, heading for the stairs. And going down. I shook my head in disbelief. What had I told him about staying out of trouble? Ah! Oh, he'd already walked straight into Lovelace's hands and risked both our lives in the process. Now, here he was, in all probability, heading straight toward Jabor. It's all very well, running for your little life, but at least do it in the right direction. Gods! Huh, I flapped my wings and set off in grim pursuit. Grim indeed. God damn it. The second golden rule of escaping is make no unnecessary sounds. Huh. As the boy reached the second floor, I heard him breaking this in no uncertain terms with a bellow that echoed up and down the stairwell. Mrs. Underwood? Mrs. Underwood, where are you? His shout sounded even above the crashing noises reverberating through the house. Oh, you stupid. You stupid, stupid boy. No, he's ah. 11. It's the same thing, but still. He's a stupid loving. I rolled my eyes to the skies and descended the final flight of stairs to find the hall already beginning to fill with billowing coils of smoke. A dancing red light flickered from along the passage. The boy was ahead of me. I could see him stumbling toward the fire. Mrs. Underwood! There was a movement far off in the smoke, a shape, hunched in a corner behind a barrier behind a barrier of licking flames. The boy saw it too. He tottered toward it. I spat up, claws outstretched. Mrs. Underwood, are you The shape rose, unbent itself. It had the head of a beast. The boy opened his mouth to scream. At that precise moment, I caught up with him and seized him around the middle. He settled for a choking yell. It's me, you... <clears throat> Wait, hold on. It's me, you idiot! I hiked him backward toward the stairs. It's coming to kill you. Do you want to die along with your master? His face went blank. The words shocked him. I don't think... I don't think that until that moment he had truly comprehended what was happening, despite seeing it all unfold before his eyes. But I was happy to spell it out. It was time he learned the consequences of his actions. Out through a wall of fire strode the... <clears throat> out through a wall of fire strode Jabor, his skin gleamed as if it had been oiled. The dancing flames were reflected on him as he walked through the hall. <clears throat> he started up the stairs again. My limbs strained at my master's weight. 
his limbs dragged. He seemed incapable of movement. Up! I snarled. This house is terraced. We'll try the roof. He managed a mumble. My master. Is dead, I said. Swallowed whole, most probably. It was best to be precise. But Mrs. Underwood... There's no doubt with her husband. You cannot help her now. And here, believe it or not, the fool began to struggle, failing, flailing about with his puny fists. No! He shouted. It's my fault! I must find her! He wriggled like an eel, slipping from my grasp. God damn it. In another moment, he would have hurled himself around the banister and straight into Jabor's welcoming arms. I let out a vivid curse, and grabbing him by an earlobe, pulled him up the on up and onward. Don't worry. It was old Babylonian. The boy wouldn't have understood the reference. I want to understand the reference. I want to learn old Babylonian curses. <laughs> Careful, you might, you might bring about something, my dear. Stop struggling, I said. Haven't you made enough useless gestures for one day? Mrs. Underwood. Would not want you to die too, I hazarded. Yes, it is your fault, but err, don't blame yourself. Life is for the living. And, um, Whatever. I ran out of steam. Whether or not it was my words of wisdom, the boy stopped straining against me. I had my arm around his neck and was dragging him up and around each corner, half flying, half walking, fast as I could lift him. We reached the second landing and went on again, up the attic stairs, finally, direct below, directly below. The steps cracked and splintered under Jabor's feet. Fucking fat ass. Point number three. Point number three. Without much conviction, it seemed perfectly, it seemed a perfectly reasonable desire to me. Point four. Psychologically, psychology of this sort is not my strong suit. I haven't a clue what motivates most humans, and care even less. With magicians, it's usually pretty simple. They fall into three distinct types. Motivated by, by ambition, <laughs> greed, or paranoia. Underwood, for example. Now he was the paranoid type from what I had seen. Lovelace, easy. Ambition leaks from his body like a foul smell. The boy was of the ambitious kind as well, but he was still young, unformed. Hence this sudden ridiculous burst of altruism. The window! I said. To the we wall. need to get onto the roof. I bundled Nathaniel across to the skylight and punched it open. Cold air rushed in. I flew through the opening and, perching on the roof, extended a hand back down into the room. Come on! I said. Out! But, to my astonishment, the infernal boy hesitated. 
He shuffled off to a corner of the room, bent down, and picked something up. Ah, it was his scrying glass. I ask you, Jackal had a death hard on his heels, and he was dawdling for that? Oh my gosh. Only then did he amble over to the skylight. His face still wiped clean of expression. One good thing about Jabor. Slow. It took him time to negotiate the tricky proposition up the stairs. If it had been for Quarrel chasing, he'd been he'd have been able to overtake us, lock the lock and bar the skylight, and maybe even fit with a nice new roller blind before we got there. Yet no lethar yet so lethargic was my master that I barely had him within grabbing distance when Jabor finally appeared at the top of the stairs. Sparks of flame radiating from his body and igniting the fabric of the house around him. He caught sight of the boy, raised a hand, and stepped forward. He banged his head nicely on the low-slung attic door. Hey. Unaware of his surroundings, idiot. This gave me the instance I needed. I swung down from the skylight, holding on with my feet like a gibbon, seized the boy under an arm and swung myself back up and away from the hole. As we fell back against the tiles, a gout of flame erupted from the skylight. A whole... The whole building shook. The boy would have lain there all night if I had let him, staring glassy-eyed at the stars. He was in shock, I think. Maybe nobody had seriously tried to kill him before? Conversely, I had reactions born of long practice. In a trice, I was up again, hoisting with him, mm, hoisting him with me, and rattling off along the sloping roof, gripping tightly with my claws. I made for the nearest chimney, and, flinging the boy down behind it, peered back the way we had come. The heat from below was doing its work. Tiles were popping out of position, small flames dancing through the cracks between them. Somewhere, a mass of timber cracked and shifted. At the skylight, a movement. A, movement. a giant black bird flapping clear of the fire. It alighted on the roof. It alighted on the roof crest and changed form. Jabor glared back and forth. I ducked down behind the chimney and snatched a quick look up ahead. There was no sign of any of Lovelace's other slaves. No gin, no watchful spheres. Perhaps with the amulet back in his hands, he felt he had no need of them. He was relying on Jabor. The street was terraced. This gave us an avenue of escape, stretching away along a succession of connecting houses. To the left, the roofs the roofs were a dark shelf above the lamplit expanse of the street. To the right, they looked over the shadowy mass of the gardens, full of overgrown trees and bushes. Some way off, a particularly large tree had been allowed to grow close to its house. 
that had potential. But the boy was still sluggish. <sighs> I couldn't rely on a speedy flight from him. Jabor would nail us with a detonation before we'd gone five meters. Five! I risked a quick peek around the edge of the bridgework. Jabor was approaching, head lowered a little, snuffling in our trail. Not long before he guessed our hiding place and vaporized the chimney. <laughs> Not long before he guessed our hiding place and vaporized the chip. God, I need to do the sentence again. Not long before he guessed our hiding place and vaporized the chimney. Now was very much the time to think of a brilliant, watertight plan. Failing that, I improvised. Leaving the boy lying, I rose up from behind the chimney in gargoyle form. And Jabor saw me. And as he fired, I closed my wings for a moment, allowing myself to drop momentarily through the air. The detonation shot above my plummeting head and curved away over the roof to explode harmlessly somewhere in the street beyond. I flapped my wings again and soared closer to Jabor, watching all the while the little sheets of flame licking up around his feet, cracking the tiles and feeding on the hidden timbers that fixed the roof in place. Point five. To me, which is what counts. I held up my claws in a submissive gesture. Can't we discuss this? Your master may want the boy alive. Jabor was never one for small talk. <sighs> another, another near miss almost finished the argument for me. I spiraled around him as fast as I could, keeping him as far as possible in the same spot. Every time he fired, the force of his shot weakened the section of roof on which he stood. Every time this happened, the roof trembled a little more violently. But I was running out of energy. My dodges grew less nimble. The edge of a detonation clipped a wing and I tumbled to the tiles. Jabor stepped forward. I raised a hand and fired a return shot. It was It was weak and slow. Far too low to trouble Jabor. It struck the tiles directly in front of his feet. He didn't so much as flinch. Instead, he let out a triumphant laugh, which was <laughs> cut short by the whole section of roof collapsing. <laughs> the master beam that spanned the length of the building split in two. The joists fell away, and timber and plaster and tile upon tile dropped into the inferno of the house, taking Jabor with them. <laughs> he must have fallen a good long way from there. Down four burning floors to the cellars below ground. 
much of the house would have fallen on top of him. Flames crackled through the hole. To me, as I grasped the edge of the chimney and swung myself over to the other side, it sounded rather like a round of applause. <laughs> You're welcome. The boy was crouching there, dull-eyed, looking out into the dark. I've given us a few minutes, I said, but there's no time to waste. Get moving. Whether or not it was the friendly tone of my voice that did it, he struggled to his feet quickly enough. But then he set off, shuffling along, shuffling along the rooftop with all the speed and elegance of a uh, walking corpse. At the pace it would have taken him a week to get close to the tree. Let me do that line again. At that pace, it would have taken him a week to get close to the tree. An old man with two glass eyes would have caught up with him, let alone an angry genie. I glanced back. As yet, there was no sign of pursuit, only flames roaring up from the hole. Without wasting a moment, I summoned up my remaining strength and slung the boy over my shoulder. <sighs> then I ran as fast as I could along the roof. Four houses further on, we drew abreast of the tree, an evergreen fir. The nearest branches were only four meters distant, jumpable. But first, I needed a rest. Good God, I need a rest. Jeez. I dumped the boy onto the tiles and checked behind us again. Nothing. Jabor was having problems, clearly. I imagined him thrashing about... In I imagined him thrashing around in the white heat of the cellar, buried under tons of burning debris, struggling to get out. <laughs> there was a sudden movement among the flames. God damn it. It was time to go. Fuck. It's going to be a long night. I didn't give the boy the option of panicking. Grasping him around the waist, I ran down the roof and leapt from the end. The boy made no sound as we arched through the air, picked out in orange by the light of the fire. My wings beat frantically, keeping us aloft just long enough until, with a whipping and stabbing and a cracking of branches, we plunged into the foliage of the evergreen tree. I clasped the trunk stopping us from falling. The boy steadied himself against a branch. I glanced back at the house. A black silhouette moved slowly against the fire. Ooh, menacingly indeed. Hmm. Gripping the trunk close, hmm. gripping the trunk loosely, I let us slide. The bark sheared away against each claw as we descended. We landed in wet grass, in the darkness at the foot of the tree. I set the boy on his feet again. Now, absolute silence, I whispered, and keep below the trees. Then away we slunk, my master and I, 
into the dripping darkness of the garden as the wail of fire engines grew in the street beyond and another great beam crashed into the flaming ruin of his master's house. Well, that's going to end chapter 30. And part two of the book. Oh, oh, yeah, part two. Part three now. Well, then, that's something. So, what do you guys got for this chapter? Nathaniel has very poor sense of self preservation. Especially when in shock and disbelief. (sighs) Still, very poor sense of self preservation. And also the creature with the horns where Mrs. Underwood was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, Nathaniel. Yep. Yep. <sighs> Nathaniel just had his world fucked. Not shaken. Not stirred. Fucked. Sounds Something like I it. like to point out, though, yeah, about this is um, it it really shows you how far Bartimaeus is willing to go. Like he could have theoretically left Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then he'd be stuck in that den. Yeah, but <sighs> I mean, stuck in a what's tin. What's stopping? Sorry, what ahead. exactly is stopping him from just going to the bottom of the times and grabbing the tin? Uh, to be fair, stuck in a tin is also better than fighting for your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Least... And eventually it would, like, wear down and everything surrounding it would have worn off anyway. Yep. Eventually, over time, maybe the course of uh, this tin. How long does it take for tin dis- to disintegrate by water? That I don't know. You'd have to figure One out how second. long... It... You'd have to figure we out. We have the technology to figure this out. You'd have to figure out how long it takes it to rust completely through, or at least in part, because one would figure that an interruption, or an interruption in the metal itself, would be enough to like void the charm, right? The charm that contains mm-hmm. them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, da, 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 da. Anything from a few hours up to years, depending on water type, temperature, salinity, treatment of the metal, etc. Bear in mind also, it isn't just in a tin, it is in a plastic baggie. Wow. That's true. But plastic baggies, depending on the plastic baggie and who de- and who manufactured it, mm-hmm. could disintegrate either quickly or take forever. Yep. This episode brought to you by Ziploc. Apparently. <laughs> Jay says, TikTok, Nathaniel, you are not wrong. Mm-hmm. So things are starting to heat up a little bit, I think. Also, Ziploc, if you want to sponsor us. Not saying not saying we're sponsored by Ziploc, but then again, like, yeah, if you want to, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, because Ziploc is, like, best brand anyway. You're not wrong. We got anything else for this chapter? Um, let's see. We now know that Jabor... Not, we have never heard Jabor talk. Nope. Well, have we, we might have heard him talk him? last chapter. We don't have confirmation if it was him or not. Jabor. We, we did hear him speak in the beginning of the book. 
when yeah. Nathaniel first stole the amulet, he did have a couple of lines. Right. Also, Jabor, Jabor likes to be a big boy. Apparently. But yes. <sighs> um, another thing about this chapter is the fact that so Nathaniel's in shock. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Underwood, dead. Mr. Mm -hmm. Underwood, dead. Nathaniel, we, we don't now have, considered MIA. We don't have confirmation that the Underwoods are dead. We have not yet seen their bodies. All we have is the assumption that they have died. Mm-hmm. True. Um, but here's the thing. Here's my prediction. I picture that the way they're going to spin this, early Simon Lovelace is going to spin it, is um, a summoning gone wrong. Mm -hmm. So basically, because here's the thing, it's mighty suspicious that less than a week after there was an attack on the Prime Minister, another minister member is found dead in their house with their loved one. So I picture, because mm -hmm. they all know that Underwood has an apprentice that was about to go through their first summoning, that Simon will probably word like, oh, the kid bit off more than he could chew, summoned a demon far too powerful for him, lost control, and now he's panicking and on the run. He could also spin it as, uh, because this is happening so close mm -hmm. to the last time the ministry was attacked, he can also spin the fact that now another minister has pretty much been attacked and possibly been killed. Depending on how the investigation goes, if Nathaniel's body is not found, Lovelace could spin it as, hey, Nathaniel is a traitor and he's part of that rebellion, that rebellious group. What if he tries to spin it that Underwood is part of the rebellion or that it, it was a failed assassination attempt? Either way. See, see, here's the thing, though, because that might work. However, it might also not work in his favor because... Nathaniel described the person that attacked. Mm-hmm. But it did seem and Yeah, like sure, someone no could else. point out, oh, that was a red herring made by him, but, like, hmm. However, Fair. Nathaniel seemed to have been the only one to see the last attacker. Yep. Nobody else actually saw what the attacker looked like, if I recall correctly, so mm -hmm. they could assume that Nathaniel was maybe lying. Yep. True. Especially when you got Lovelace uh spinning his shit yep hmm fascinating this is not really got, a, sorry go ahead he's got, got prestidigitation and his charisma down to a t he's got a high charisma score he's not really um there's not really a lot in this chapter other than once again an escape scene the, mm -hmm. Jonathan Stroud seems to be really big on these escape scenes you know high action-packed mm -hmm. escape scenes narrowly dodging you know, basically death in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Not always narrowly dodging, because bear in mind, Bartimaeus, for all... I think this is the third escape scene, officially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 33% of the time, he got captured. Yeah. Yeah, but when the when the, when there's an escape scene that happens, um, like it's usually action packed, mm -hmm. and when they do escape, it's usually narrowly escape, mm -hmm. like down to the wire. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And it's usually Bartimaeus that pulls it off. Mm-hmm. So, so Bartimaeus has a couple of levels in Rogue? Mm-hmm. Potentially, and we we can also assume that if not for Bartimaeus, Nathaniel would have been dead ages ago. Oh yeah. Yep. Nathaniel's not good at the escaping thing. Oh so. no. No, he's not. <laughs> the Bartimaeus says arcane trickster. <laughs> yeah. Anything else we want to talk about for this chapter? Mm. I think Sadly, there's not a lot of new information in this chapter. No, yeah. not really. Besides for the fact that we know the barmaids hasn't had a chance to have like a proper rest lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he was struggling to carry Nathaniel, who, if he is like an average 11-year-old child, and he's been described to be on the scrawnier side, which is also like a common trait among like chosen one mm-hmm. young adult novels, he probably weighs maybe less than 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. You also have to remember, he had been... Um exercising a lot more so he probably gained a little bit of muscle from all the swimming he'd been doing you're not wrong so but still barmace is like a level 14 demon i imagine he can like he at his fullest he could probably pick like me up for example with little to no ease maybe so that again barmace being a demon originally and being used to taking on an ethereal form, mm-hmm. or e- or a non-corporeal form. He has always described corporeal forms as exhausting. Yep, and it does cause him pain. Mm-hmm. So there's a possibility not, that not only is it physically exhausting to him, but psychologically and spiritually exhausting to him. That's fair. That is totally fair. Which, who's to say that that's not a normal thing for all humans? Fair. Also, OKHJ redeemed a cat check. We will get to that after we close out the episode. My cats are all sleeping. With that, guys, this has been chapter 30 of The Idiot Book Nook and episode 46. The end of part two. And the end of part two. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so at l-a-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash idiot book nook you can find links to our socials you can find links to our youtube you can find a link to our podcast and all of our podcast feeds where you can also leave us voicemail messages it's been fun absolutely fun Mm -hmm. i've been enjoying this journey thoroughly with that being said we're going to close out this episode so we're going to say goodbye and we will see you guys next episode on the podcast and the YouTube feed but for the idiot book nook I'm Blazewing I am the reading dragon I'm Lady I'm Lady Punnett and we will see you for chapter 31 and episode 47 next episode and the beginning of part three of the Mamulet of Samarkand. Absolutely. Ah! See you soon. Bye. Bye.